Are your customer acquisition costs too high? Lifetime values too low? Are you uncertain if your communication strategies are helping or hurting the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing efforts? Welcome to the Continuous Revenue Marketer Podcast, where the most influential marketers in the world are sharing their insights and lessons on the critical topics they and their chief executives must address daily. How to drive consistent business growth by delivering more revenues through profitable acquisition and customer lifetime value maximization strategies. What you'll hear by listening to this podcast are the actual strategies and tactics our marketing experts are using to achieve their critical missions. Hi, I'm Russell Kern, CEO and founder of Kern and Omnicom Agency, and I'm joined with my co-host and producer, Elliot Dennis. And today, I'm exceptionally excited to welcome to our podcast, Marco Scolamilio. I'm sure I said that wrong, Marco, even though we practiced, so... <laughs> so I'm going to let you help clarify. And Marco, who I've known for over a dozen years, is the global CEO of the RAP Network, a global agency with the Omnicom Precision Group. And I'm really honored, Marco, that you're giving us our time. We've known each other a long time, and it's always a joy in our conversation. So let's just get started with the proper pronunciation of your name, just for okay, fun. Okay, no problem, Russell. No, you're a long time. Sconia Emilio. Sconia Emilio. What Don't a beautiful name. Geez, and it rolls right. off the tongue. <laughs> well, thank you very much. So, Marco, um, how about for our audience, which are chief marketers, just a little bit about your journey to the role of global CEO of RAP and the network. How'd you get yeah, here? No, absolutely. And thank you for the, for the time as well for you, side. You know, yeah, you know, it was 22 years at RAP and, you know, I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, I'm responsible for uh, uh, the RAP brand across multiple agencies globally and obviously the independent brands, great brands like yourself at, at Kern. And, you know, I've, yeah, I've had almost eight, nine different roles at RAP over the last 22 years. And I've been very fortunate from working, you know, from Scotland, Edinburgh, London to the United States. And I've had opportunity. And I think my the key point there really is I've, I've been lucky enough to work for people who've, you know, recognized the need to give people with leadership potential and desire opportunity to do things different after a certain period of time. And, uh, you know, gone from, you know, opportunity to opportunity. And, um, you know, I've loved every bit of it and, and still do today. That's wonderful. So I, I know we spoke just the other day. I'm going to give you two sides of the coin. What sure. makes you a successful leader? I mean, I know I know because I love working with you. And then the second piece of the coin is what have been some of the setbacks that you had to overcome on your journey? So let's talk about success first. Yeah, no, I think, you know, um, I think in our business, and I think just generally in marketing, is knowing what's really important for success, being absolutely sure you have clarity on that. And I think particularly on the, if I look at the agency side, it's knowing that, you know, it's not about the agency. You know, that's what it's not about. It's knowing that your success is dependent on your client's business being successful and helping them ultimately beat their competitor's hand down. You know, as you talked about, you know, you know, continuous revenue growth. And a dreadful trait, I think, sometimes of our industry of marketing generally is talking about, you know, ourselves. And I think, you know, clients employ us to, employ us to, to partner, help them be better and ultimately drive more top-line growth for them. And knowing that is why we employed as a business gives real clarity to focus. And I think that I think that's important for certainly leadership uh, uh, today. 
Um, and I think that's single-mindedly kind of where I um, focus, if you like, as a leader. Um, you know, in terms of setbacks, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day because someone else asked me a similar question. And I've been fortunate that I haven't had too many setbacks. And I do believe, or we'll come on to generally one, is that it's because of knowing what's important to your business, um, which is helping our clients be successful. That's ultimately important because we will get hired or fired by that, simple, as simple as that. And if, you know, when I've had, had a setback, it's because we've lost a piece of a big pitch when I actually, I genuinely believe heart and heart, I know we can do a brilliant job for that client. And as long as I can look in the mirror and say, you know what, I know what we did was through understanding their, their business and their clients, we would have been successful. And that always picks you up because you know you generally did what you believed was right. And that allows you to pick up the ball, a bit like in rugby. You know, you get a big, ugly, fat tackle. You're on the floor. This monster's running all over you. And you get up and you pick up the ball and you go again. So it's a bit like that. So I think as long as you still have said to yourself, I really generally did do what's right for our client's business, that's fine. And if you don't, then you reflect on it and you change tack. So I think it goes back to this piece, single-mindedly knowing what's important for the success of your business. So, Marco, you sit in London. And yeah. as the global CEO, you get a chance to see literally around the world. Yeah. So I think it would be interesting as we're as we're looking in the new year is what are what are you seeing from a global perspective? What are the worries? I mean, we have been through incredible mm-hmm. pandemic and world change and supply change, but you're hearing it around. So maybe you could share a global view of, of what clients are telling you and what they want from their agencies. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's a good, great question, actually. Um, so what I'd say is very consistent is, um, and I was just talking yesterday to someone who runs our uh, network in in Asia, and it's no different a conversation I'm having with a CMO here in the US or in, in the UK, which is this need to deliver digitally enabled personalized marketing at an individual level. I mean, it is absolutely unanimous, even across all of Asia and in the US. There is this need for personalized marketing, um, which is digitally enabled. Now, it's actually in the US, there's still very much a need for personalized marketing. It may be what we kind of argue is more traditional media, but certainly this need for personalized marketing at individual scale is prevalent everywhere. And what's also extremely consistent, and this is what I love about it, for there's a more consistency in needs than ever before, is that brands all over the, the globe. And regardless of sector, at various points of on the maturity curve when it comes to delivering personalized marketing at scale. And therefore, what we're seeing across all markets is need for, if you like, strategic consultancy to help you know, navigate the complexity of this requirement and to make it simple. And also with it, use cases which show me that you meet the client that you've done it before. So an old um, narrative that someone a few years ago said, which I, I've never forgotten, which is, you know, don't tell me you're a comedian. Stand up and tell me a joke and make me laugh. Show me that you can do it. You know, don't bullshit me. Show me that you can do it. Um, but it is that that's what we're seeing consistently everywhere. And it was just on a conversation yesterday. And in Asia, what's interesting there is because they haven't never really had that trad- traditional media platform, they are straight off from day one you know, trying to enable everything digitally in terms of personalized experiences. 
Elliot, do you want to drill down on a question from Marco? Yeah, that's actually a great jumping off point. Something we've been observing as well as a lot of in a lot of our communications. So, Marco, do you feel there's any market that's a uh, you know the leader right now? Uh, I know with the U.S. kind of behind some of the markets when it comes to standardized data privacy laws and such, and data being such a big component and the trust of that to kind of fuel these personalized experiences. Do you think in Asia or or, or Europe or Europe is is ahead of the curve when it comes to delivering on these personalized experiences? Yeah, I, I do. And you know what? It's actually one of the, uh, something else we could jump onto as well is kind of the why. Um, and yeah, so definitely in um, new markets, um, which are really just kicking off into digital personalized marketing and smaller markets where there is no legacy in terms of big organizational structures. You know, they're creating structures for today's new world in marketing or even, you know, startups as well when they haven't got the legacy of the big organization. So I think definitely in some of the uh, Asian markets, which are just kind of starting off or in some cases in the, on the marketing journey, they're able to create an organizational design which is be fit for today's marketing and create data infrastructures with engagement for like in Salesforce from Adobe from day one, as opposed to the big organizations having now to bring these into the organization. So definitely in some of the, the newer markets, but also across the world where we have the new entrepreneurial companies, you know, uh, starting up and, and, and looking to deliver that personalization. So definitely in Asia, seeing significantly quicker progress, um, but also I think across the globe with entrepreneurial startups, we're seeing that to, uh, to happen. So Elliot, if you don't mind, I want to be the devil's advocate, which is, hey, is not personalized marketing just CRM? Like from you and I have been in the quote customer relationship management business our whole yeah. careers, yeah. but so what's the big deal here? Yeah, so I I'm, I I agree with you. It's like you know I remember a few years ago integration was the new word, and you know, and other than buzzwords before that, and you know it, it is ultimately it is that I think the the difference now is is um you know it's it's we have the opportunity to create. I don't dislike the term personalization at scale. And the word I don't like is scale, because scale sounds like the old term, well, let's just direct mail everyone, okay? So for me, it's about personalization, personalized marketing with nuances. And, and really, it's how you use personalization at an individual level is where the magic is, because that's what creates the, the nuances and the individual and, and the differentiation. So personalization, yes, it is CRM, but it gives us an opportunity to be a little bit more nuanced in terms of how we talk to people in the right moments of time. And that's where the opportunity opportunity really, really is. So yes, it is CRM. And, and by the way, clients still today use the word CRM. I would say 50% of briefs that we get globally or locally say CRM brief. Yeah, I don't, I don't do. know that, that language is going to, we're, we're just trying to change it from CRM yeah. to customer relationship to continuous revenue. Because in the end, isn't that what they really want to have happen from their market? Totally, totally. And then and what, and what, where the magic really comes in. So, okay, that's fine. But then how do you do it? How do you make sure your personalized marketing or CRM is going to be more successful in, in acquiring, retain the customers than, than it is that my competitors are going to be doing it? Yeah. Yeah, and so, that means we have to get smarter and smarter and smarter in terms of how we we utilize data, understand individuals, and then optimize that data. So I'd like to just I'm going to build on that for a second, and Elliot, maybe you can then set up the the why and the cases. But you know, Marco, from our perspective, this personalization is about understanding the neuroscience and the neuromarketing because that's where Kern comes from of 
inspiring the individual to action. You know, we are both old school direct response marketers. We learn from Capels and Cobbs and Stone or Ogilvy, and they had a bunch of rules. But now all those rules are measured, which is how do we stimulate the mind to take the action? And so the personalization isn't just Marco or Elliot. It's understanding what your pain and personal need is and gain such that your mind, we, we as the marketer can awaken you to the message and get efficiency and effectiveness by the behavior. And so I do think there's a level of understanding. It's not what really does personalization mean? And the current perspective is applying the neuroscience to it all. No, I agree. And that's funny. That's why I kind of, I like to hang up myself personally on the word nuances, because that's what you do. It's just those nuances, even within the individual. So, and that's again, back to, you know, it's how you do it, not saying that you do it. And, yeah. um, you know, you, what you're doing there, you're continuously striving to find a better way all the time to understand that person, depending on their state of mind during that day. Yeah. And, and that's where the differentiate. And that's where, you know, I think it's really important for marketeers to recognize that. And the danger is we're building all these data warehouses. We have all this data and we can just go. Well, actually, the danger is we're going back in time. We don't because we'll end up just doing everything at scale, not creating any relevancy. So I 100 percent agree and love what you're doing there. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Elliot, over to you. Did you have a yeah, question? One of the things I personally love about personalization is it, it kind of ties into RAP's mission statement that you stand for individuality, you stand for the individuals. You know, each personalized experience is unique to each individual. And so we've talked a lot about uh, MarTech being a big driving force behind you know pers- the personalization trend. I'm going to call it trend really the future because now we finally saw for the marketing holy grail of you know being able to deliver the right message to the right person at the right time on the right channel at scale or through all the nuances as, as you call it. So my question is, can you give some tips to global CMOs and you know without giving away names, let's just maybe say a global automaker brand out of Michigan in the US versus a global automaker brand out of Germany and how they have to kind of implement now these MarTech stacks to be able to strive for individuality on a global scale when they are in so many markets. So can you give any tips to you know those audiences on you know what might be the best place to start, some of the wins they could get if they do implement it the right way and you know, everything in between? Yeah, no, yeah, it's a good question. You know, and the danger sometimes is, and we see this a lot, which is um, we start from the tech point of view, you know, um, as opposed to, and this is the difference between like startups and big organizations who've gone and invested our IT departments in millions and millions of dollars and pounds in terms of, you know, various stacks when actually standing back and say, actually, what is the customer problem we're really trying to fix from the outset? Um, and quantifying, you know, what that is, because there can be many point, pain points on a customer's experience with a brand or customer journey. And the danger is we're trying to fix it all at the same time. So it's standing back, first of all, before you make these investments, say, so what is the problem we're really trying to fix? And is there a time span on it? And what is the data sets that we have? And can we utilize those data sets? And from that, you can then start to define a really clear, manageable strategy um, that can be Im- implemented and attainable over a period of time. And then also with that, do I have an organizational design that can deliver on that structure as well? And then from that, you can then start to get into the tech solutions in terms of which are applicable and realistically for you to implement at that particular time. And also tech solutions that are agnostic and you, aren't, you haven't got just one size that you try and fit all because sometimes you'll need various solutions. So I think the biggest advice I can do, and this is just from painful experience of working with some big brands who have spent years and years in investing 
in, um, and I can go back, crikey, five or six years now, I can see the meeting, <laughs> financial services clients in Europe say, we spend millions and millions on this Adobe solution without saying who it is. What do I do with it? And whereas we kind of say, what's the crossword problem we're trying to fix first? And then we can build around it. And I think that would be, and that's easy for me to say because I haven't got the pressure working on the client side. Um, I think understand that client problem first and then really working out what are the right solutions technically to fix that is where I think we need to get, um, you know, uh, would be helpful direction for many brands today. Do you think, Marco, a CMO should consider creating an innovation center that is agnostic of channel and responsibility as if they're their own startup? Because in our big brands that we work with, we, you keep referencing the the silo, the, the conflicts, the yeah. investments versus, hey, I'm yeah. I'm going to empower three people to yeah. define the problem and let them work out versus have to deal with the politics. Have you ever seen that work within a big and brand? So two things. First, on your point, you know, funny when I was waffling on then, I was going to say that, but I thought I better stop to give you a chance to say something. Because <laughs> I was going to say just that. And I think there's sometimes the challenge to say, look, you can't do it all. So, you know, take a slice of the budget and, you know, and, and take it off the side and create a COE or innovation lab to see whether you can work, we're going to work on certain segments and then prove the business case. Because ultimately, it's all about the numbers at the end of the day, yeah. you know, yeah. and, anyone's case, and do exactly that. Have I seen it in all honesty, um, guys? I've not seen it. I've seen it talked about a lot, but I've not seen the evidence of it happening. And I think that's the opportunity, you know, for brands like Kern and others and also clients, you know, would say, right, this is what we're going to do. We were talking about just the other day with one of our automotive clients um, in the US said, look, how do we get, you know, 5%, 10% of the budget to do the innovation we talk about? Yeah. And so, but then you get caught up in the treadmill of the, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. Yeah. But that is, and that's why I think clients, you know, quite right, look to us as agencies to say, okay, you guys, I don't, you don't got all the crap to deal with that clients, that clients have so much internal stuff to deal with today. I think it's on us as agency leaders and brands on the agency world to make that happen for our clients or certainly be provocative in, in, in prodding that direction. You know, from, from my perspective, we are at the start of the fourth industrial revolution yeah. you know, and, and that yeah. you know, we cannot pretend that things are going to come that we don't know about, whether it be yeah. blockchain, Bitcoin, yeah. NFT. And so, so not pretending that you need to be innovative and giving yourself that space is setting yourself up for not succeeding because a new world is upon us. It's hard to see, but it's here. It is. And you know what, uh, Russell, one thing I, I just did this interview the other day, actually, on something else. I said, this is why even, it, you know, it, being around a while, as you said at the beginning, you know, this is for me, it's like the best time to be in business. It's like, yeah. you know, you can, you know, everyone's talking about Web3, that's the new thing at the moment. But, you know, there's nothing stopping us inventing the new platform of the future, the new engagement strategy. That's the great thing today. We can create whatever we want. It, because there is all the technology, all the data there. There are no barriers. Before, it was very much, you know, there are these three or four things you could do in the old CRM world. But today, you can do anything. You can create whatever the engagement model is because the technology and the alpha intelligence is all there. So this is a great time to be in business, particularly for our industry as well. Yeah. Elliot, did you have a follow-up? Because I do have oh, one yeah. or two closing. Yeah, I, just, I can't one question. We kind of started talking about a little bit, but you know, as you use the word CRM, do you still think that the term customer relationship management is relevant today, given all that we're talking about? I I do. One I'm a bit of a said because again, you know, I'm I'm I've always been brought up, you know, 
you know, listen more than you talk. You might not believe that. Um, and when I listen to my clients, you know, everyone still talks CRM because it says what it says in the field. It's customer relationship management, CRM. And, but it's how you interpret CRM is relevance today. So, um, I, you know, I don't think we'll see the term CRM disappear in the next few years. It's more about, you know, so what does that really mean in today's world of marketing? So the importance is the nuances and how we articulate and how we tell the story uh, as a result of it. And that is about personalization. That is about nuances. That is about how we use neuroscience to create those better relationships between customers and, and, and managing the brand and so forth. So I suspect it's going to be around for a while. And we shouldn't, I think some people, you know, oh, it's a bit old school. You know what? You know, Russell knows this. You know, everyone says, hey, it's the death of direct mail. Direct mail <laughs> still drives top line growth for clients. At the end of the day, that's what all marketeers and agency leaders, we need growth. Yeah, we need growth. So I am, you know, we know the journey to personalized marketing with nuance is not easy. Why? What are the numbers that you've seen? Why should a CMO take this journey? What type of return on investment? What type of market dominance can they win? Why are there are global automotives going with us to accomplish? Share that. Share what you can on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think yeah, you touch on automotive there. I think it's the same for certainly financial services as well. There's no doubt across the US, I've seen the UK and in Asia, brands, big brands that have invested. And the good thing about financial services and automotive, because they've been flush with data for many, many, and telecoms as well, this is not you know a new game to them. So they've always been in the in in the in, I guess in the world of utilizing data to optimize engagement, response, engagement, and retention. And what we're definitely now seeing, um, more efficiency in that uh, ability to go to market with customers and respond in real time. And there is no doubt efficiency from the point of view of less um, wastage in terms of maybe not just the, the, the engagement model at a communication level, but also in terms of the resources that have been used to deploy it. And there's no doubt about it, you know, the numbers we're seeing three, fourfold the, the, the revenue gains as a result of those activities. And with it, too, is what we're not seeing is a significant increase in marketing budgets. But what we are definitely seeing is a significant shift from, say, you know, I've seen some cases where we had maybe, you know, personalization and a data driven work, maybe accountable 30 percent of a client's budget. Now it's moving from 30% to 70%. Wow, that's a big and shift. In some cases, in the automotive segment, I've heard clients talk about saying, you know, we're expecting it to be up to 100% in five years' time because they know it's going to be about accessibility and engagement. So there's no there's no doubt about the, the pendulum has as, as well, as well moved. So let's just wrap up, which is if you had to summarize advice, three points of advice to CMOs, um, what would you what would you tell them, ladies and gentlemen, you CMOs? Here's here's three bits of wisdom that I want to recommend to you for this year. So I would say, don't panic. It's a long journey, and and what I mean by that is, um, just stand back and just figure out what is the customer problem you're really trying to solve first, uh, because there are many you know aspects of a customer problem to fix and the danger is we try and fix everything mm -hmm. so i would really spend quality time understanding the problem that needs to be fixed 
where is the biggest point pain point in the customer's experience with the brand? Because that's what defines, you know, the narrative in the marketplace. Um, and then from that, defining a really clear, manageable strategy to deliver against fixing that problem. When I say manageable strategy, I mean by that one that is attainable over a period of time and, you know, not over committing. And then thirdly, do you have the organizational design to deliver that? And I think that really is the crux because all the technologies out there, all the data warehouse solutions are out there. You know, the measurement techniques are all out there, but it's defining the problem. That's where you really need strategic partners to understand what is I'm trying to fix and a manageable strategy to get there and the organizational design to deliver against it as a business. Because, you know, the rest of the tech solutions, said before, the measurement platforms, they're all out there. Yeah. You know, and, you but know it's, it's the thinking bit, which is really important as opposed to jumping into it from day one. And the funny thing is we at Omnicom and we go to Omnicom University, what do our professors teach us from Harvard? Culture eats strategy for lunch. Yes. You know, and so as you say, is if you don't have organizational design, the culture to adapt, the openness yes. within the silos, the flexibility to implement, it doesn't matter how many little tech tools you stack up. It will not matter. Yeah, so, I agree. So. And, and, you know, and then and ultimately as well, you know, we never lose focus of, you know, we know, you know, and same for us as leaders of our businesses, for our clients is their success is going to be predicated on generating revenue. You know, yeah. growing year and year. You know, yeah. it's that simple. So, what is? How do I? How do I do that? You know, yes. you got to sometimes stand back, generate results. So, Marco, I am honored. Thank you. Thank you for your time and your wisdom and your information. And on behalf of all of our listeners, and on behalf of Elliot and myself, thank you for listening today. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any other future episodes. And until next time, I'm Russell Kern. The Continuous Revenue Marketer has been brought to you by Kern, an Omnicom precision marketing agency that helps Fortune 500 companies increase revenue from customer acquisition to loyalty through personalization at speed and scale. For more information, please visit kernagency.com.